Marini's Media. Totally Football Show. In today's all-killer, absolutely no-filler edition, we tackle wedding news, literally flip-reverse that time stream as we ask what if Roman Abramovich had bought Arsenal instead and have flicks and kicks on Escape to Victory, a film about a group of people using football as a means to escape their confinement for very thought. All that plus your questions and some totally huge news in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Sting, they're at the checkout with the social distancing messaging anthem for our times. Uh, we're joined on today's Totally Listener by you. Thank you very much. Also here, Raphael Honigstein. Hello, Rafa. Hello, James. Hey, Tom Williams is on board. Good day to you, Tom. Good day, James. And hello, Duncan Alexander. Hello. How are you? I'm um, very well, thank you, Duncan. Hey, it would have been internationals this weekend, so there's that. <laughs> what, are you saying that this is a, an unexpected positive consequence of the shutdown? Well, that's not for me to say, Tom, Tom Williams. I uh, don't know, I was very much looking forward to Germany-Italy in yeah. Moonbeck. And I was Germany, due to be Spain. at Wales-USA. Were you, Tom? Where was so that going to be? I missed out on a trip to Cardiff. Crikey. Duncan, mm. what would you have been doing? I would have been probably not watching the internationals, I think. I see. So I've stayed solid on that front. All Duncan right. spends his weekends when there's international football on just watching Premier League years on a loop, so nothing has Correct. really changed for him in that respect. Nice. Correct. Well, none of that football, of course, happening because of uh, COVID-19, as you've probably heard. Uh, the coronavirus crisis has seen all sorts of football clubs and football figures doing very positive things. Gary Neville... Uh, famously opening up his Manchester hotels for NHS workers. Jose Mourinho this week uh, seen helping out at the Enfield branch of Age UK. Pep Guardiola immediately going out and donating a million to Spanish anti-COVID-19 efforts. Referee I read that in Germany, Bayern Munich's players have taken a whopping 20% pay cut to help other employees at the club uh, get through the coronavirus crisis. That's correct. The same thing happened at Borussia Dortmund. A uh, similar thing happened at Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, simply because... Uh, the clubs are without uh, massive chunks of their income and it's relatively easy for the um, the big shots, the players, as well as the executives to take a pay cut to make up for that shortfall and is seen as um, not even a charitable gesture but something that is natural and a given in the words of Manuel Neuer, the FC Bayern captain. All right. Fair enough. Meanwhile, in Liberia... Would you do the same for us, James? <laughs> That's why I was moving on really quickly. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Liberia, uh, Andre says, can we have a bit, a bit of love for George Ware's coronavirus song? That's right. The Liberian president has partnered with local gospel musicians and uh, secular singers in Liberia to produce an anti-coronavirus anthem for his people. It's called Let Us Stand Together and Fight Coronavirus. Slightly mixed message there, as, as Andre points out, but this is what it sounds like. It follows that the single most important thing you can do to protect yourself is keep your hands clean by washing them frequently with soap and water or hand sanitizer. 
Liberia's index case of COVID-19, by the way, is a senior government official who came back from an international conference in Switzerland, evaded quarantine, then tested positive after he felt unwell, and now stands accused of deliberately putting the public at risk. So, cautionary tale uh, there for you. What did you make of the music, Tom? Enjoyed it. A bit of a, a Baz Luhrmann vibe, um, certainly in, in the verses, getting the message across. Um, so, yeah, a, a string to George Weir's bow that I was not aware existed until now. He's quite the Renaissance figure because, of course, footballer, country leader, and previous to actually taking up football, he was a telephone repairman. No, was he now? Just leave you that, that one there. Uh, in other COVID-19 news, uh, Duncan National League have made the shock announcement that they're not going to be seeking to finish their season. Matt, 35, asks, what impact, if any, do you think that this will have on the Football League and then ultimately the Premier League? A lot of people talk about a knock-on effect here, guys. Why would that be? Well, obviously, if they do it, then it seems more likely, I guess, that the leagues higher up would do it. I mean, Barrow are particularly concerned because they've been, you know, top of the of the National League for a long time. They've, you know, waiting their their return to the uh, Football League for the first time since the seventies. Um, I guess you could argue that, obviously, with Berry going out of business, there is a, a free slot in in League Two. So maybe there's some sort of, you know, Barrow go up even though the, the league is uh, abandoned. But, yeah, I mean, it it does throw into light the fact that it is looking quite unlikely that that teams can resume in May or even June. So, yeah, I think the next few weeks are going to be, there's going to be a lot of uh, toing and froing. Not only clubs, of course, hardest hit perhaps by the cash flow crisis. Many of them are due to pay their contracted staff this week. In other better news, excitingly, one player has taken part in a match this week. It's Hulk. The former Porto and Brazil star, now at Shanghai Shenhua, has gotten married. Uh, touching scenes here as he tied the knot with his uh, ex-wife's niece. Uh, a very sudden marriage, this, which has consisted, as far as I can tell so far, of him putting married on his Facebook status and then taking photographs with the pair of them wearing wedding bands. But it is the niece of his former wife, who he split up with last year, Apparently, the uh, sudden nuptials were caused by Camilla, that's the niece's name, needing a visa to stay in China. Remarkable story. Good luck to them, though, I say. I mean, at least they won't have to go through the whole, you know, how did you meet Rigmarole? <laughs> so that's good. I mean, it reminds me, actually, of a, uh, almost... I mean, do people know about Jacques Cotil, the, the French cyclist, his personal relations, which are baffling, to say the least. So he was a, a big star in the 50s and 60s. He married his doctor's wife, so that's one sort of up on the dubious uh, channel, and then he couldn't have children with her. So he then persuaded uh, his wife that to, so he could have children with his uh, stepdaughter. So he did that. So he was then living with his wife and having children with his stepdaughter. And then he had an affair with his uh, stepson's wife and had a child with her too. But they all apparently lived happily in a big farmhouse in Normandy. So just goes to show... You know, you can't judge from the outside. You just, you've got to live it. The French. That's remarkable. I had some other content here, but that's just completely blown it all away, Duncan. Uh, I had some other kind of footballing wedding stuff, but really, after that, I'm not sure how Sergio Ramos flying ACDC out to play at his wedding reception is going to cut it. Although, I was going to finish off with a bit of John Terry wedding uh, business. Uh, his wedding, I don't know if you recall this, Rafa, took place in 2007 where at Blenheim Palace apparently it covered a full 50 pages in Hello uh, apparently JT walked down the aisle uh, to this Robbie Williams's version of Mr Bojangles Mr Bojangles 
Dinner was a classic prawn cocktail, it says, followed by pie and mash or fish and chips wrapped in newspaper, which sounds brilliant, I've got to say, plus something described as a baked bean cake. And then Lionel Richie did a surprise set. Boom. All night long, I'm sure. Whoa. I mean, baked, baked bean cake. I don't mm, know. Not for me, Clive. I, I don't know. I also don't know what, what John was wearing for the ceremony, <laughs> but, but I think I've got an idea. <laughs> Well, obviously, Blenheim Palace is the ancestral home of uh, Winston Churchill as well. And, you know, captain leader legend in uh, both senses. Oh, yeah. Very nice, Duncan. Very nice indeed. All right. Well, that's it for part one. Coming up next, some exciting proposals for a shortened season, some very big news and flip reverse. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Tall Swedish strikers with little ponytails, special. Winning the little jackpot on Paddy Power Games? Not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18 plus begumbleware.org. Hey, listener. As you know, getting to the shops is a little tricky right now. But you can let our sponsors, Harry's, take a load off when it comes to shaving. Now, I've got a beard, as you know. That doesn't mean I don't need to get my shave on. Perhaps around the neck, upper cheek, mm, and across the top of my head. And the good news is that Harry's cucumber and aloe shave gel allows me to lather into a luxurious foam and slide their precision-engineered blades across my face and head, avoiding nicks and cuts. So if you're fed up with overpriced razors, why not get yourself a Harry's trial set delivered right to your door for just £3.95. It's got everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. A non-slip handle in your choice of blue, orange or green, a five-blade razor cartridge with a lubricating strip, a trimmer blade, that rich lathering shave gel, and last but not least, a travel blade cover. All you have to do is head to harrys.com slash totallyfootball. That's harrys.com slash totallyfootball. Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Football world is on hold. Tom, as the author of Do You Speak Football, how do they relate to suspensions and games being called off in other parts of the world? Well, I did have a look in the book to find appropriately relevant language. But given how unprecedented this situation is, I didn't find very much. What I did find was an example from Colombia. And we're about to talk about what may happen to this season, whether it's going to be able to be finished and the potential consequences for next season. And in 1995, uh, the Colombian uh, League Authority decided that Colombian football was going to switch to a European-style autumn-to-spring format, um, having previously been a spring-to-autumn affair. Um, But then attendances plummeted, so they decided they were going to switch back to the old format. But they decided to continue with the season that had already started. Uh, So the 1996-97 season in Colombia lasted for 15 months 
um, and America de Cali were eventually crowned champions in December 1997, having played 76 matches. Um, so out of all the potential uh, solutions for finishing this season um, and knock-on effects for the season that follows, I, I think at the very least we should be able to avoid a situation like that, you'd hope. Wow. Wow. Alfred Joyner actually got in touch on this on this note with a suggestion for a shortened season. He says if we're trying to get everything back on track by the 2021 Euros and this season's going to get extended, well, then we do need to do a shorter campaign. I propose, says Alfred, a truncated season copying the Scottish Premiership model. All teams play each other once, you know the thing. Then the table split in half and the top 10 and the bottom 10 play each other. The advantages of this format would be that those final nine games would be box office. In the top half of the table, every game would be a big clash to decide the title or Champions League slots. In the bottom half, every game would be a relegation six-pointer. Boom. Interesting. Taking Alfred's model, if we split this season after 19 games, do you know who'd be in the top half? Sheffield United. Absolutely, Rafa. And so would Newcastle and Crystal Palace. Uh huh. And who would be in the bottom half battling relegation? Everton and Arsenal. Wow. Th- this sounds way better than the actual, you know, thing. When they've done this in Scotland, the thing that really bothers me is that you end up with a final league table where a team in, say, 10th can have more points than a team in 8th, and it, it bothers me. <laughs> now, while lots of other tournaments uh, are currently suspended, we've got exciting news, listener, uh, of a competition that will be going ahead from this Monday. If you've ever wondered, these Totally Football Show pundits sound knowledgeable, but I wonder which one knows the most. Well, we're going to find out together because starting Monday, we're doing our very own World Cup of Totally Pundits. All the guys and girls are in a hat and we've done a draw and starting Monday, it's the first round as they go head to head for the title of Best Totally Pundit. Wow. I can reveal, by the way, I can reveal who you guys have got. Are you ready? Ooh. Yeah. Right. Duncan, you've yeah. drawn Alvaro Romeo. Ooh. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. Tom, you're up against... Yeah. <laughs> Tom, you're up against James Horncastle, while Rafa, oh, it's Daniel Story for you. Yikes. How are you aye, feeling? Aye. Yeah, how he's are you my feeling, bo- Rafa? He's my bogey opponent. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> Duncan, no games at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't. Well, that that's to be seen, of course, uh, Duncan. You sound uh, quietly confident. Is that right? No, I didn't sound confident at all. I Cocky, if anything, I'd say. Uh, that's an outrage. No, no. Right. I mean, listeners can't average. see this, but we're all uh, we're all on a FaceTime call, and Duncan actually punched the air several times when James revealed the draw. So, right, I wonder if that'll come back to haunt him. Right. Whereas, mm. whereas Tom, you did a, a Slavia Prague-esque chuckle when the news of your your draw against James Horncastle came through. Yeah, I mean, if you want to win these sorts of competitions, you've got to play the big teams at some point. So why not from the first round? Brilliant. All right. Well, I, I for one, can't wait to get that started. Uh, Monday, we should have the first round. Well, next up on the Totally Football Show, Duncan, we've had a whole load of requests for you to do your time meddling magic. So let's once more flip reverse it. Flip Reverse Pioneers, Blazing Squad. Duncan, today you're going to be meddling with things you don't understand to go back in time to where? Summer 2003. Uh, a All pleasant right. time, yeah. 
um, people might remember that Roman Abramovich bought a certain football club in London, aka Chelsea FC. He could have bought Arsenal FC. Now that would have unleashed an entirely different timeline. So there's always been talk about how his helicopter route to White Hart Lane, which he was intending to become proprietor of after taking over Spurs, took him instead over Stamford Bridge, and that's why he made the decision. But are you saying there was a genuine prospect that he'd take over Arsenal instead? I've heard a different story of that uh, helicopter flight, that Abramovich was already sold on buying um, Chelsea, but was flying over the Fulham Stadium, and mistook that for Stamford Bridge and turned around to some of his advisors and said, what, we're buying this piece of <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, really. That's, so, that's the version I've heard. Where does the Arsenal angle come from, Duncan? So there was a book that came out last year called The Club uh, by Josh Robinson. Um, and it said that uh, at the time, Abramovich was you know, trying to look at various English clubs he could buy. And he, he hired Swiss Bank UBS to... Uh, to look and they said Arsenal would be a good a good choice um, and David Dean is said in the book said that they would have considered it at the time so I think we can wow. say that it is a possibility that it might have happened um, but you know let's move beyond that semi-fact and go deep into conjecture so okay. he- here we are in summer 2003 uh, Abramovich newly installed at Highbury uh, already sounds a bit odd but there we go um, People forget, although this is obviously the season that Arsenal in real life go on to be invincible and win the league, they weren't actually tipped that highly uh, at the start of the season. I think the average kind of uh, prediction for them was sort of second, third, independent on Sunday, even predicted fifth for them. You might remember that obviously at Chelsea in in real life, uh, they went on an incredible uh, shopping spree, bringing in hundreds of players, um, some of them good, some of them less so. Presumably, Abramovich would have offered Wenger the same opportunity at Arsenal, but I suspect Arsene being Arsene, he probably would have turned down most of them. I think of the list of players that Chelsea bought that summer, possibly Hernan Crespo he might have gone for, and almost certainly uh, Claude Makélélé. So if you think Arsenal with um, Makélélé in the team, you know, probably improves them. Um, So I think they'll still win the league under Wenger that year. Uh, I don't think they'll be invincible because that is such a random event that you know if we're gonna if we're gonna alter history a little bit that I think uh, they won't go unbeaten. But I think the big change that season is that Arsenal get through to the Champions League final because they don't have to play a bolstered Wayne Bridge fueled Chelsea in the uh, quarterfinals and go out. But who do they face in the Champions League final? FC Porto, managed by Jose Mourinho, who shock the Premier League champions and beat them. Uh, and so Mourinho then gets snapped up that summer uh, as Abramovich uh, enrages and disgusts Arsenal fans by sacking Wenger and bringing in Mu. And from there, it all goes into a wholly different direction because basically Mourinho then comes into Arsenal, he reconstructs their defence, he brings in JT from now struggling Chelsea because Chelsea crashed out the Champions League in 03 or 04. They're in deep financial trouble. They're about to get relegated a la Leeds. Are they still um, under Ranieri? Ranieri goes at the end of that season, but um, they're they're just scratching around for for any old manager. Um, you know, Sam Allardyce I think comes in from Bolton at this point. Can't really keep them up. Um, Chelsea end up going down in uh, in two thousand and five or six. They fall as low as eighteenth in League One. They've never got back to the Premier League. They're still, you know, they're doing well in the Championship. They're kind of you know in and around the playoffs. Um, think kind of Nottingham Forest style. 
But, you know, the, the big thing as well is that Arsenal go on to win their first three seasons, the Premier League in their first three seasons under Mourinho. So they win 0405, 0506 and 07 They become the first team ever to win four English League titles in a row. But Mourinho's relationship with Abramovich deteriorates, particularly post-2006 when Arsenal moved to their new stadium. Uh, you know, there's a slight financial impact there and, and Mourinho still leaves uh, in 2007. So, you know, his timeline then picks up real life again. But um, right. I think the big, the big takeaways for me are that, you know, Mourinho improves Arsenal, which I'm sure Arsenal fans will, will be delighted to hear. And, uh, and Chelsea really have fallen, have fallen giants. Wow. Uh, what happens to Arsene Wenger? Well, he disappears for a year. No one's really sure he goes. Um, a lot of rumours going around. But he eventually emerges a couple of years later when Ferguson... Uh, Alex Ferguson can't compete with, with Mourinho's Arsenal. They're, they're just too good. You know, Henri up front, JT at the back. Um, so Wenger eventually replaces uh, Ferguson at Old Trafford. Wow. Tom Williams, any thoughts on that chilling scenario? Yeah, I quite enjoyed that. I thought it was thought it was quite believable. Solid foundations. Um, I was surprised to see Chelsea fall away so alarmingly. I quite like the idea that if Ramovic doesn't go to Chelsea and hire Mourinho, Chelsea don't become this uh, intensely dislikable club and actually become a sort of people's club, the kind of Everton to um, Abramovich's all-powerful Liverpool if that makes sense, mm. in, a, in a, a London setting. Hold on to players like Gianfranco Zola, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Obviously, you've got Frank Lampard there, your Carlton Coles, your Mario Stanichis. Maybe they knock around for a bit longer in the Premier League and, and become this, you know, this free-flowing team under Ranieri who's able to carry on playing his brand of football um, and become a kind of neutrals favourite. Duncan, do you think that Abramovich would have weathered the financial implications of the Emirates better than, than Arsenal and would have kept them competitive. Yeah, I think they would have been able to stay at the uh, the top of the uh, the shopping list uh, in those summers where, obviously, looking back, Arsenal really did not have that purchasing power. So I think that would have, uh, would have changed. But I think Mourinho would have still fallen out with him at some point over something. What would have happened to Fulham, though, Duncan? Well, I think they would have still got to the UEFA Cup final and I don't know how or why but that would have happened right in many ways even stranger than the events you've just described well that was a fantastic flip reverse it from Duncan Alexander Uh, a lot of people as I say writing in with suggestions of things they'd like to see alternate realities they'd like to see explored and you can understand why in our current dimension Uh, up next everybody it's time for a, another bit of escapism, if you will. A flicks and kicks with Escape to Victory. Ah, Brazil, Carnival, Sex, Pelé. Sorry, that's Escape to Victory here. Now is the time for heroes. <laughs> victory. You've never seen anything like it. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Football pundits who actually understand management, special. Winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power Games, not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18plusbegambleware.org.
flicks and kicks. Victory, starring Sylvester Stallone, Michael Caine, Max von Sydow, and introducing Pele. How'd you like to play football against the Germans? Why not? Part two of our flicks and kicks series, looking for the best football film ever today. John Huston's much-loved 1981 soccer POW fusion classic, Escape to Victory, or as listeners pointed out, it should be titled Escape to Score Draw. Uh, Pele, Bobby Moore and, yes, John Walk, starring alongside Michael Caine as prisoners of war who take part in an exhibition match with their Nazi captors, led by camp commandant Max von Sydow. But you knew that, right? Stand by for more tunnel drama than a naughty's Arsenal Man United. My contention is, though, that it's not nearly as good as your nostalgic feels suggest possibly like other foreign-based football-related programming you watched when you were little. Uh, we'll hear my reasons perhaps a little bit later on and the thoughts of Tom, Duncan and Rafa. Uh, first off, let's hear from supporters. Adam Hurry, a.k.a. Football Cliché, says, Escape to Victory isn't just a must-watch, it's a how-the-hell-have-you-never-watched this. Chris Smythe claims every Saturday morning at 7.30 from age seven and a half, I would get up and watch it on dodgy VHS. I knew the dialogue off by heart. Andy calls it the best football film of all time. Barry White says, I love this film so much. Chris Stenson, by a million miles, it's the most convincing football action ever put on screen. Brune says, it's awful, but I love it. Chester calls it a perfect combination of 70s zeitgeist, part Dad's Army, It Ain't Half Hot Mum, Warlord comic, and part Robson era Ipswich Town squad. What a combination. Huh. Uh, Russell Osman, also writing in. Hello, Russell. He said, yeah, how can we reclaim lost royalties? 1981 <laughs> seems such a long time ago. Crikey. Russell, of course, featuring heavily in the film, Ipswich Town's Russell Osman, as the man who leads that wrong-headed campaign to actually play out the sham match rather than get on with the business of escaping that the whole film had been about. Wow. Let's get your thoughts, though. Rafa, have you seen this film? I imagine it was a big hit in Germany. <laughs> no, I have a confession to make. I've never seen the film. And I still haven't seen it. In the interest what? of uh, journa- well, in the interest of journalistic research, I tried to find it uh, this week, but I could only see the last six minutes right. uh, on on a YouTube and the trailer. And it struck me that I think the original title was just Victory. In America, it was Victory. victory. Yeah, I, I I wonder why that is. I'm I'm thinking that maybe Victory in itself was was almost trivial. Or, or perhaps the fact that they didn't win the game was was the issue. But escape to victory kind of suggests that escaping had a wider relevance and then helped as far as winning the war is concerned. I think it, it was given extra gravitas uh, for perhaps for UK market. Um, I hadn't seen Escape to Victory until Tuesday. Um, so I sat down uh, with a great sense of anticipation um, and... Uh, yeah, I was surprised to discover that it is objectively a terrible film uh, that makes no sense, uh, that is just really quite poorly acted uh, and confusing. But at the same time, I'm sure had I first watched it when I was about 12 years old, I would have loved it. And had it been the sort of film that, you know, the family put on at family get-togethers and we all recited the dialogue together, I, I might have fallen in love with it as well. But coming to it cold... At my age, it was, uh, yeah, it was quite a, a, a baffling watch. Well, I had seen it many times in my youth, um, but it was funny re-watching it this week. Some bits I remembered really, really clearly, like the game and the uh, the bath imploding, all the water going down the hole. 
But then there was huge chunks of it that I had no recollection of at all. I never clocked as a kid just how unfit Michael Caine was and like the least convincing footballer ever. He can't run. Like he tries to jog at one point and like gives up after a few, a few meters. There were a couple of nice touches. I thought there was uh, one line from Colby, Michael Caine's character, when he's convinced to put this team together, when he says, uh, okay, I'll do it, but I want meat, fresh vegetables and beer, which is very much a kind of 2020 London-style living, isn't it? I mean, that is what we all want deep down. What's Um, a curious notion of how you prepare footballers for a game, meat, vegetables and beer? Well, I mean, it covers most of the, you know, food groups, but um, he also, there's there's one great bit where uh, they start to train... And one of the lads gets a football and he chucks it away and says, we won't be needing that for a while. And it was the most English distillation of, you know, let's just run ourselves into the ground and not bother with any kind of ball work. I quite enjoyed the the very low bar that it took for Colby to invite people to join the team. You've got Sly Stallone's hatch herring around, like begging to be given a place on the team uh, and being told no because he's hopeless. And then someone plays, you know, a a five-yard pass to, to, to a teammate and... Colby comes over and gives him the, the tap on the shoulder and you're in. Is Stallone yeah. being turned down because he's, a, he's American? No, um, it's because he doesn't know how to play football. Mm. Yeah, right. but yeah, he's synonymous, I guess. He says at one point yeah. early on, you play English, I play American. What sort of game is this for old ladies and fairies? Which, I mean, right, we've all which, thought about yeah, football. In no way once. do we endorse that as, as a statement. He's very much the precursor of the kind of English side with the American keeper that was so prevalent, of course, later on in... Uh, in the Premier League. As for the match, well, I, I mean, my thoughts on this, uh, I mean, Houston, I have a problem very much. Uh, John Houston, legendary director who puts it together, and it's essentially very much a film of two halves. The first hour, which is your kind of store brand version of The Great Escape, even down to the knockoff Elmer Bernstein score, is, I find, you know, stately but solid Sunday afternoon mm. stuff. I, I'm down with that. My problems really start in the second hour when all of the atmosphere and build-up is discarded for the the match and the the notional escape attempt. Uh, The match, let's have a quick look at that first of all, for me is actually desperately drab. And you've got some of the greatest stars, Bobby Moore, uh, Osvaldo Ardiles, Pele, and I'm expecting to borrow Big Ron's phrase, Hollywood passes. Instead, they just kind of run up and down a bit and you get two touches. Yeah, I mean, I think those the balls were is, very heavy at the time. That's true. At Opta, a long time ago, we actually analysed this game from all the footage that there is. Obviously, there's not the full 90 minutes. Um, and there was a ridiculous number of tackles. I mean, there's a slide tackle every sort of three seconds. Someone, As soon as someone gets the ball, three or four men launch themselves at him. And, and basically, the idea of football is a kind of... Uh, you know, running man style, just avoid the legs coming in and then you might get a shot. Um, and we mustn't beat around the bush. Hatch, Stallone's character, is the worst goalkeeper in the history of football. I mean, he, he, it was a carrier-style performance in the biggest game of his career, wasn't it? I mean, he's, he comes out two-footed on numerous occasions. It's extraordinary. And he's still asking where he should stand at a corner at various points during a match. Right. Uh, yet more proof, this, this film, that 4-0 is a dangerous scoreline. But, yeah, I mean, I was just disappointed that all those stars and all they got to put in their movie was one rainbow flick from Ardilos and one bicycle kick, which admittedly, if you're watching this back in 1981, might have seemed like unheard of wizardry, but not so much now. But even the rainbow flick, which is one of the seminal moments of the film, performed by Ozzy Ardiles in character as Carlos Rey, he kind of botches it because rather than rainbow flicking the ball over the head of an opponent and then gathering it 
on the other side, a la Neymar, it just goes to a teammate and Ardiles has to kind of just watch this slightly disappointing trajectory. And I, I kind of felt with quite a few things in, in that sequence of the film, if they just done a few more takes, it might, it might have looked a little bit better. But it almost looks like they just gave them a couple of hours to run around, took the footage that was left at the end of it and then tried to make a narrative out of it. Right, so uh, this is what I think the problem is. If you have, the one impressive thing about the game is that it's in a stadium, which is obviously meant to be the Stade Colombe in France, which you know hosted the thirty-eight World Cup and the and the Olympics and stuff. But it is, and it's actually in Hungary. But the one impressive thing about it is they fill the ground with extras, which is incredible. You know, there's actually a massive crowd. So I presume they only had a couple of hours to film the match, which, in, in terms of the way it looked, it looked quite good from on the long shots. But in terms of your right, Tom, I mean, the actual match action was was not great. What didn't work for me is how the fourth wall was broken with the replay, slow motion replay in the in the bicycle kick. I think the first one is beautifully shot when a ball comes in. You're sort of behind the the cross, as it were, following the ball. But then when you see replays, you're thinking this is not a this is not a film. I don't Rafa, see replays of key moments. you literally haven't watched moments. this film. How can you speak? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. It was, it, was never on in, it was never on in Germany for some I reason. I understand that. It's a fair point you make, Duncan. I, I just thought that probably Houston, who directed some of the greatest films in cinema history, but by this point was 74, probably just couldn't be bothered with this bizarre Stallone, uh, Michael Caine uh, vehicle. Let's just have, quickly touch on the big escape. This is the other confusing thing, isn't it, that they escape at the end, but you it blink and you miss it, really. It's not made yeah. that clear. The the crowd sort of still... I mean, I guess the reason it was called victory in a lot of places is because the crowd then just start chanting victoire, victoire. But, and then they kind of break down the the advertising hoardings and, and escape the ground. And presumably the players kind of edge out with them there. But think, it's not... Do you think they would have had much adv- advertising for this game? Yeah, true. There's a nice... Uh, Saw sticker Tifo in one of the, in the main stand. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Torres says you have to feel sorry for the resistance guys who risk their lives tunneling into the dressing room bath, sort of, a la Jose Mourinho probably, only for some of being friends to snub their hard work in favour of a satisfactory if spectacular draw. What do you mean we can win? You mean, wait a minute, wait a minute. Colby, we're losing time. You mean, you mean you go back and play the second half? Well, I'll tell you what. move. We only got a few minutes. Yes, but we can win this. Are you, you careful with me in the goal? Of course we can. He's not a bad goalie, is he? What the hell's the matter with you guys? You want to go back to prison? Oh, man, we need you. That's right. You guys do what you want, but I'm well, What we're doing is quitting. I ain't going back to prison. You've got to come back. If Forget you it, don't, if you don't come back, out. we can't go. Hatch, if you go, we've all got to go with you. We can't go back without the goalie. So this is the other issue I have, the whole kind of escape bit, which in the end it just turns out to be a matter of putting some overcoats over your kit and wandering past the Germans who kind of wave their rifles in the air but make very little attempt to stop the crowd exiting with the prisoners in tow. Well, also the, the actual the discussion at half-time, you know, they're yeah. halfway down the ladder and, so, and someone says, no, we've got to win this game and Michael Caine's character's like, no, 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 we don't. And then within two seconds he's like, oh, yeah, all right, let's go and do it. There's no... It's- I think that's the that's probably the worst bit of the entire film and one of the worst sequences of of dialogue I think I've ever witnessed. Yeah. Because Michael Caine is determined to follow Sliced Alone down the tunnel and then he hears a couple of guys say, no, we want to stay and play. And then Pele gives that painfully uncharismatic speech. Please, Hart. That game means a lot to us. You know that. 
We must go back. Hart, if we run now, we lose more than a game. Please, Hart. And Michael Caine's character is convinced that, no, they must go back and win the match that they eventually right, ra- draw. Rather than do the big escape that was so important that they actually mention it in the title, it basically they stood around like a group of lads discussing whether to go in for one more jar here or trying to get past the bouncer <laughs> that faces. Yeah. There's a level of kind of tension about the whole thing. I mean, it is a film that is entirely devoid of any notion of danger, possibly because uh, the kind of one main uh, German character is the, the very lovable uh, Max von Sydow. Well, I mean, the film the uh, film starts with uh, an Allied prisoner attempting to escape from the camp, uh, being caught in the barbed wire fencing and then machine gunned to death, uh, and that's mm. the only bit of bloodshed in the film. And you kind of feel like that the, you know, the makers of the film felt well, we've established from the off that these these guys are not to be messed with. So even if we make them bafflingly nice from that point on, to the extent that when the fans rush the pitch at the end, the German soldiers. Uh, opt to kind of stand aside and not use their a very menacing looking yeah. weapons. What, it seemed to veer between kind of serious points and, and jovial points. There were, you know, Kane insists that he gets sort of Polish and Czech players at one point and then they bring in some guys who obviously been in far worse camps in, in Eastern Europe and it's quite a jarring moment for the film and it doesn't really seem to fit with the, with the general arc really. My most surprising discovery was that the German national team manager Reinhold Muller, who appears in the film for all of about a minute, um, is played by the same fella who plays councillor David Horton in Vicar of Dibley, um, which was a kind of uh, a commingling of two worlds that had previously existed very separately in my head, um, to the extent that I'd ever thought about potential crossover between those right. two. Right. The big question then... If you were making it now, and there has been talk, I think, at various stages of of a remake, uh, latest version with Spanish director Jaime Holetzera, who directed Goal 2. So if you were to make a, a, a new version, a remake, who would be in it? Which Hollywood actor would go in Goal? Goal 2 is the best of the trilogy. It's a bit darker than the others. I would put um, Arnie Hammer in Goal, I think, as the uh, Sly Stallone character. Mm-hmm. He's got that kind of American hunkiness. I think that would. I'd, work I'd put well. Sty Stallone in. I mean, he's still around. <laughs> he's probably he's bigger now than he was then, so he's probably got more chance of saving a shot. I think if you were going to try and be faithful to the original, you'd have to also find footballers who can't act. So I'd be looking at you know your Wayne Rooney's, your Wayne Ryan Giggs's, yeah. um, just to keep that that level of um, non charisma. Let's be honest as well. The the reason that Pele overhead kick is such an iconic moment is because not many players did overhead kicks in those days. But now it's a pretty standard. You know, look at the Champions League a couple of years ago. We had Ronaldo's. We had Gareth Bale's in the final against Liverpool. I mean, you know, players are regularly doing the kind of... Uh, and as Tom said, Neymar does a rainbow flick every three minutes in League yeah. 1. So the, it's kind of... Modern football has kind of surpassed even the most uh, glamorous moments of escape to victory. But in an indication of how rare it was, I think that was the only overhead bicycle kick that Pelé ever scored. Although he is counting that goal as one of his 1,000. Of course. (laughs) Okay, so the verdict, better than Green Street, but not as good as you remember, I'm, I'm putting it down as... I would if I if someone said to me you got to watch Green Street or Escape to Victory again, having watched both of them in the last week, I would probably go Green Street. Really? Hmm. That's just, kind of a I think, controversial view. Yeah, possibly, but I just mm. feel I'd I'd get more out of it on repeated viewings. 
All right. Well, wait till you see next week's entry in Flicks and Kicks, which is, what have we decided to go with, Tom? United Passions. United what about, Passions. What about the English game, that new one on Netflix? But that's uh, a well, series, we, isn't it? So Yeah, it's right, a series. That doesn't, yeah. Uh, well, there's a long list of, uh, of options, but United Passions, says Tom, which is a challenging uh, film in many ways, but a uniquely fascinating experiment infusing Seth Blatter, Tim Ross, Gerard Depardieu, and the whole Swiss role in football. Swiss role, hey. <laughs> anyway. Wide, uh, widely felt to be one of the worst films ever made about anything and I not don't just know. football. I've seen it, Tom, and I'm going to watch really? it again. Yeah, I've seen it. Wow. It has moments, and it is in places quite jaw-dropping. So there's that. Well, we'll get everybody to watch United Passions next week, and we'll see if we can find a nice easy link which we can post if you want to have a go at that as well listener uh, i think that pretty much rounds it up though for today's totally football show have you got any big plans for the weekend tom duncan rafa not really <laughs> <laughs> that's so cruel <laughs> bit of skype action um nice. doing a, a quiz i think on saturday night which is becoming a bit of a, a weekly routine Ooh, for I'm me doing and my a pals. quiz on saturday night as well so am there i you go yeah. We, wow. No, not the same one. Are we did a right. bit of house party. We all signed up to house party. Uh, very much so, yeah. All right, then. Well, as I say, we'll have our very own Totally Quiz starting this Monday, and that's really exciting. Uh, plus, of course, there's a Galactop now and loads of other stuff if you want to have a listen to something over the weekend. Otherwise, we'll catch up with you on Monday. I hope you have a really relaxing, stress free time of it, and uh, you all stay nice and safe and healthy. We'll catch you on Monday. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Hello, I'm Emma. And I'm Jeffers. And we're the Series Linked Podcast. Subscribe to our channel for all of the biggest TV interviews. And to stay on top of all the latest telly. It said Gervais sometimes fluffs his lines. Like I'd have left them in. It's a stunning place to shoot. I like put something up on Instagram and there's somebody a post going, Oh, you look at you, lazy-eyed, you're ugly, aren't you? And on the way in upcoming episodes, we speak to Imelda Staunton, David Baddiel, Carl Pilkington and many more. Just search for Series Linked. That's Series Linked. Muddy Knees Media.